This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. From Joy 94.9 in Melbourne, I'm Stephanie Longmuir and you're on Dying to Tell, a podcast series where we explore end of life and death in a frank and honest way. With advanced care planning legislation passed last year and a report prepared for the Victorian Parliament on funeral and burial instructions, Victoria is proving to be a test case for new legislation around end of life and death. On this episode, we are looking at new laws that will help Victorians plan for the future and to ensure their final wishes and instructions are met. Look, so many of us think advanced care plans or appointing a medical treatment decision maker is something that doesn't relate to them. They think, oh, you know, I'm too young, I'm too healthy, I'm too well, I don't want to think about it now. But here's something worth thinking about. Approximately 85% of Australians will die after a chronic illness, not a sudden event, and up to 50% will be incapable of making their own decisions at the end of their life. Gina, do you think this stuff is important? And do you think it's especially important to the LGBTI community? Steph, I think it's it's paramount to the um, LGBT community. And we know that through our own stories that we've heard from from people we've known from our elders that when it comes, you know, we're still debating marriage equality, but we certainly haven't come close to death equality. And that's because... I mean, I've experienced a loss of a friend who I wasn't able to attend his funeral. None of his friends were able to attend his funeral because his parents wanted to hush the gay side away. So none of us got an opportunity to farewell our gorgeous friend. And when you thought of him, you you knew him as someone who was always with his friends and loved and celebrated life with his friends. And we were excluded from that event. We've seen it far too often when family members are not okay with with our sexuality or or even you know with people that are transgender and we've seen discrimination at the worst time possible when people are at the most vulnerable when we're farewelling them when they lose self-determination and for me it's it's definitely my greatest fear especially what my faith would do to myself or to my partner if I was to pass knowing that they probably wouldn't recognize my partner in that farewell to me, which has only kind of been, you know, seen the Greek Orthodox Church in its recent, in the recent marriage equality debate here in Melbourne. It's it's only just escalated that fear. So advanced care plans, all these kind of laws make me feel a little bit more protected, but we still have a long way to go. Well, hopefully attitudes will change with the passing of the Medical Treatment Planning and Decisions Bill that was passed last year, last November. And that that will enshrine advanced care directives into law, but it's still up to the individual to make sure that they do have an advanced care plan. Our first guest is Claire McNamara, who is a senior legal officer um, who's been described by her colleagues from the Office of Public Advocate as a bee's knees on this new legislation. <laughs> Let's listen to what Claire has to say, firstly, about what an advanced care plan is. Well, lots of different terminology is used, but um, if I'm thinking about advanced care planning, I'm thinking about it quite broadly. And the ways anyone would do their advanced care plan depends very much upon their own unique 
circumstances. So any individual would think about what their family circumstances are, what their values are, what their fears are, what their current health condition is, what their experience of health conditions or the health system has been, whether in relation to themselves or to other people. But there are common elements. So the way I would see it is the first thing is really have some private contemplation and then the next stage would be to discuss with the people that you think are important to have those discussions with, whether it's health practitioners or whether it's your family. Certainly with discussions with family and friends and partners and so on, it can be very informal. And then the next stage to contemplate is whether you need to document anything and that might be very important and, and documentation really is a process in my view that follows discussion. So you don't start by filling out forms, you start by thinking and discussing and then you might get to the point where you want to document that and there are a number of health organisations have some different formats and as I say there's different terminology so some health organisations might call them statement of choices or health practitioners might call them goals of care. If you do document something you then want to make sure you store those documents with whoever they need to belong to and the documents could consist of you might fill out a formal document which is about appointing someone to be your medical treatment decision maker. So the, those forms, forms currently you can you can do that um, and the law will change next year and there'll be some different forms but it doesn't matter when you appointed someone and what form you used, it will continue to be valid even when the law changes and you might also document your preferences and values or you might be really specific about some sort of treatment. You might say, I do want to have all life-sustaining treatment or you might say there are treatments that I wouldn't want if I'd got to a certain progression of my disease. You might use language like I want comfort measures or I want all treatment that's available. I want all of that. So it's entirely, as I say, it's unique really to everyone and you know, perhaps you know, when I think about it for myself, what my advanced care planning consists of, given my circumstances, is I've appointed my partner to be my medical treatment decision maker and my partner is aware of my wishes and for me at the moment that's really all I feel I need to do but at a future point in time I might do um, something more and document things but that's not what I feel I need to do at the moment. So I wouldn't want people to feel that everyone's got to come out with the same uh, look of advanced care planning because people need to develop something that is that meets their particular needs. So how can people become more informed about their choices at end of life? I think I think really the best way is to talk to people. You can talk certainly you could talk to your your GP. Um, I guess people need to identify what their anticipation is and what their fear what their fears are. People might fear pain or they might fear somebody making the wrong decision or fear somebody having authority to make a decision and that's not the person they would have chosen. And many of those things can be can be dealt with through effective advanced care planning um, or by getting reassurance from health practitioners. You know, if your fear is about pain, finding out from health practitioners about what palliative care involves. Because I think, in my observation, often when I've seen articles in the media, people are not as informed as they might be and if they were, they'd have a little bit more confidence in the way the system can operate so long as they make themselves part of that system and think about what they want and, and communicate it with people who can see, see to their wishes being realised. So what then do you think is the biggest obstacle to advanced care planning? Well, I'm sure there's lots of factors. Um, one, I, I guess, is well, so people have said to me, um, many people don't want to contemplate death, they don't want to contemplate incapacity, they don't want to contemplate a future in which they have no control. 
I'm not sure that's true of all people and um, or necessarily even culturally specific to any sort of group. But I guess what we do need to do is encourage people to see that if indeed they're prepared to tolerate discussion about those matters, they'll feel more in control. Equally, people are entitled to decide they don't want to do that. So it's perfectly fine for someone to make a decision that that's not what they... An informed decision sometimes is choosing not to do anything, but we'd like people not just put their heads in the sand, but if that's the conclusion they reach, that it's an informed one, that they've had access to information. So the place to get information, there's lots of websites with a lot of information, and, and if people just Googled advanced care planning, lots of information would come up. Certainly people can call our officer's advice service if they want to have a chat to somebody over the phone anonymously. Uh, but I think many people will, will find that they'll get the answer simply by talking to the people that they care about in their life. And there's many things in popular culture. There's TV shows all the time that generate the reason to have these sorts of conversations in popular culture. Death is there all the time. So I'm, I'm not quite sure that we really are turning a blind eye to the reality um, what will happen to all of us. Bringing to life conversations on life's only inevitability. We are dying to tell on Joy 94.9. Do you know what will happen to your body when you die? Have you written instructions for your funeral? Or have you been involved in a family dispute about the funeral of a loved one? These are just some of the questions that the Victorian Law Reform Commission addressed in its funeral and burial instructions report. And on the line, I have the Honourable Philip Cummins, Chair of the Commission, to discuss these tricky questions. So in 2015, the Victorian Law Reform Commission prepared a consultation paper on funeral and burial instructions. Can you explain a little bit about how this project originated and and why it was ultimately adopted? The primary function of the Law Reform Commission is to investigate references that the government gives us. We also have a uh, more limited function, but a very important one, of doing community law reform inquiries. And this particular inquiry, the Funeral and Burial Instructions Inquiry, was one of those. It was a community law reform inquiry, which the Commission itself initiated. What happened, Stephanie, was members of the community came to us uh, with very... um, distressed experiences of funerals where the respect uh, and wishes of the deceased were not observed by people who were conducting the funeral or the families involved and asked us to investigate and make recommendations about um, a respectful system of having funerals and burials and memorialisation. So that's how we commenced this inquiry. As part of the consultation process, Victorians were asked, should the law allow people to leave funeral and burial instructions that are binding upon those who survive them, thereby allowing individuals to determine what happens to their body when they die? What was, what was the response that you got? We consulted widely, as we always do, with the community, uh, and there was a very strong um, message from the community that the community wanted a reform in relation to funerals and burials. As you appreciate, of course, Stephanie, as a celebrant, um, funerals um, are very usual, a period of great sadness and stress. 
the Law Reform Commission uh, would not change that, of course. But what we seek to change is to prevent unnecessary trauma and unnecessary stress and to reduce unnecessary family conflict um, after death. And that's what we directed our inquiry to, to reduce unnecessary um, trauma and sadness at the time of a death. And perhaps we can talk a little bit about the current legislation um, that is in place and and why you think reform is now necessary. Well, Stephanie, the uh, community generally, uh, when we went out and made inquiries and listened to people, were very surprised to learn that you cannot make binding instructions for your funeral and the disposal of your body. Uh, We can make binding instructions through our wills in relation to property and money and all sorts of things, but surprisingly we cannot make binding instructions about our own bodies. And the reason for that is the law in England in the 19th century, where all of this came from, said that there is no property in a dead body. And unlike, therefore, a house or a car or money, uh, you can't leave your dead body by instructions because there's no property in it. And that derived from um, a quite a different time and place to modern, um, diverse Australia. In 19th century England, the law assumed everyone wanted a Christian burial, rightly or wrongly. Cremation was disapproved. And current Australian society is, of course, vastly different from that. Today, um, many people... Um, have no religious beliefs. Many people reject religion. Importantly, uh, there are diverse cultural and religious practices and complex family arrangements. And I think in particular, importantly, um, substantial importance is now placed on individual autonomy. And people reasonably expect funeral and burial arrangements to reflect their personal values and choices not someone else's. What? So there's been a big change socially and uh, in every other respect. So what are the, some of the factors that need to be considered in creating reform around funeral and burial instructions? Well, the fundamental question at the bottom is, um, who is a funeral for? Is it to acknowledge and respect the deceased? Is it to acknowledge and respect the bereaved? And in fact, it is to do both. But what can often arise, as you know, Stephanie, is uh, that there can be a difference and indeed a conflict and indeed a very sharp and painful conflict between the wishes of the deceased and the wishes of other members of the family. And that was what we directed this inquiry to. And we concluded that there should be an act of parliament, and this is what he recommended, contrary to the old law from England a century and a half ago, whereby people have the right to leave binding funeral instructions covering their funeral, their disposal of body and ashes, and the memorialisation or headstone. So that's a very substantial change from the old law and indeed from the present uh, position still in Australia, deriving from that old law. And if Parliament implemented our recommendation, that would be a first in Australia. 
So with the report, um, what relevance do you think this may have, um, particularly to, to members of the GLBTI community? Well, we found uh, many um, personal stories, very moving stories, um, of a lack of respect being shown to the LGBTIQ community. Um, there were, sadly, not infrequently, very sharp and painful divisions between the deceased and the deceased's uh, friends and loved ones and the family. And very often uh, what in fact happens is that the family simply takes over. The funeral is often uh, uh, straight-washed and the deceased and the friends and loved ones of the deceased are marginalised and not treated with respect as they should be. So what progress um, can we expect to see on reform for funeral and burial instructions? Well, the matter goes before Parliament. Um, That's up to the government as to when it does, once the report is tabled uh, as it is, and it is available on our website. Um, The website of the Victorian Law Reform Commission is lawreform.vic.gov.au, and I do encourage people to go to our website where you can read the report. Also on the website, there's a short video of some personal stories about these experiences. It's a short video, five minutes, and I think it's a very impressive and moving um, set of personal stories. And I do um, encourage people to give care and consideration to those stories. So what will happen, Stephanie, is the matter will uh, go before Parliament and then Parliament will make a decision as to whether to um, follow our recommendations or not. Um, As I've said, that's a matter for Parliament. The history of the Commission is uh, the vast majority of our recommendations become implemented by Parliament. That's um, the history of our um, recommendations. But as I've said before, it is, of course, a decision for Parliament. They are the elected body. As you know, um, Stephanie, unfortunately, we tend um, not to talk about death. Um, I think we should talk much more about death. Very often when a person dies, loved ones say, I wish we'd spoken about it. I wish we'd asked more questions. And I think it is of great comfort to the bereaved after a person dies to have had those conversations. And I also think it's a great respect to the deceased to have had them as well. So I think it's a very good thing that we do start now to talk about death and what is involved. I think it's respectful for all people and that's a most important uh, solace for those bereaved and a matter of acknowledgement of the deceased herself or himself. Philip, I couldn't agree with you more, and that's why we are dying to tell here on Joy 94.9. But also, I would would encourage people certainly to go and have a look at um, the law reform, the Victorian Law Reform Commission website, um, and to read this report. I agree with you um, about the video. It is compelling. It is, you know, I think it's about seven minutes long. It's fabulous. Watch that. But do read the report. These reports are 
very easy to read. They're very well written. They're very informative. And I think that the more preparation that people put into end-of-life and death care, the easier it makes it, certainly for families. Yes. Good on you, Steph. Thank you. You keep, you keep up the good work. I will. Thank you, Philip, and thank you for joining us on Joy 94.9. My warm wishes. So, Steph, that was our interview with Philip Cummings, but I'm curious from your experience because this is your trade. Funeral services is something you're very comfortable talking about because it's it's what you do as a celebrant. What has been your experience with family members and, and if they've had advanced care plans? Well, at this stage, advanced care planning hasn't really been implemented. There are individuals who leave very clear instructions for their families around advanced care and also around funeral and burial instructions. And they honestly make life so much easier for the people they leave behind. And although the you know, although people are reluctant about these conversations, once you get started on on these sort of topics, people will open up. You know, you'd think being in 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 the um, funeral profession that you know I'd have this kind of thing sewn up. But I sat down with my parents really only six months ago, and I said, you know, I'm ashamed that I don't know what you want when you both die. Let's sit down and, and sort it out. And we did it. And, you know, my father is the kind of man that will bury his head in the sand and <laughs> never have any sort of conversations around anything that's personal or intimate or confronting. And once we started talking, he started telling me stories about his childhood and, you know, we got the icky stuff out of the way, the stuff that they didn't want to talk about, you know, the cremation and, the you know, where they want to have their memorial services, all that sort of stuff. But then it turned into this really lovely conversation about life and that's what generally happens. So these conversations are difficult to start, but they're really, really important. And they do, you know, all of their information is now put away. It's printed out. It's put away in a drawer. And I know that when they die, I can come together with my brother and my sister and we have a plan to go forward. And did any of that surprise you? I mean, this is an industry you know well. And here you are speaking with your parents who you've known all your life. Was there anything they said that actually surprised you? And you thought, well, I'm actually glad I know because now I'm actually going to be able to fulfill your wishes. Yes. Well, I can, I was very specific in my questioning because I know the right questions <laughs> to ask. So, you know, some of their mu- music choices surprised me. You know, I talked about what sort of food they want at their memorial <laughs> service. I know the venue. So all of that stuff, because when somebody dies, despite knowing that they've been perhaps terminally ill for 20 years... It's still a real shock. It is. So people go into shock and they have to make some really big decisions, big financial decisions and big emotional decisions at a time when they're in shock. They're usually absolutely exhausted because they've been sitting, you know, at a bedside vigil for days and days. And um, they're not in the right headspace to be making those sort of decisions. So if it's all there in front of you, you just take it out and you follow the instructions. You know that their wishes are being met and it's much easier for you. So my advice, especially around funerals, is... Um, and maybe, you know, the instruction is that they don't want a big funeral. Maybe yeah. it's a small, intimate farewell. Maybe it's just a gathering at home, a dinner. But, you know, it doesn't have to be bells and whistles. It can be fairly simple, but it is meeting the wishes of, you know, the deceased. I remember we had a family member pass away, uh, a close relative, 
And that's when my parents decided to to plan their funeral, to organise where their plot would be. Because we are, you know, Greek and there are certain customs we need to follow. I was very mindful that my parents follow those customs to the T. And so I had to be the one that went and organised all of that at the, call it the cemetery. So we bought the plot, we've done that. It was probably the most bizarre kind of day I've probably experienced because here you are picking a plot of land with your parents, with, you know, someone in a suit kind of just doing that bureaucracy side of this one or this one. And for me, there was this one moment when my parents are there arguing you know, mum's kind of saying, I want to be facing the sun. And dad's like, I want to be closer to the car park. And, you know, and, you know, and she's like, I want this, you know, near this tree. And they're teasing each other saying, well, you won't see it anyway. It's really for those to come and visit. It was a, a ridiculously beautiful conversation. And now I know that's done. Like you said, it is organized. I know what they want. I know where they want. And it's all in a drawer. And I've supported other families through their experience when someone has died and it's the worst thing to have to go through that process when you're in shock when you're in grief to do it when everyone's around and well and you can joke with each other well this is the thing and it does provide an opportunity for some very dark humor so so so, you know I suggest as you say do it while people are well and healthy and able to make these decisions and as well as you know saving yourself an enormous amount of heartache you're actually going to save yourself quite a bit of money too because um, you'd be making better financial decisions so that rounds up today's conversation on advanced care planning and funeral and burial instructions. For our next episode, Gina, we are going to um, explore Indigenous funeral customs. In July this year, Australia's most prominent Indigenous music artist, Dr Yunapingu, died and for some of us in the media reporting, the passing mm. of Dr Yunapingu became a lesson in Indigenous funeral customs. Yeah. Next time on Dying to Tell, we are going to diversify our death literacy as we take a closer look at Indigenous funeral traditions, both past and present with um, some fantastic interviews from experts in the field as well as a very charismatic Indigenous elder. So if you are dying to know, then we are dying to tell here on Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.